0: Welcome to The Flourish Podcast. Thank you for joining us for this episode as we learn, grow, and flourish together as a community of women. Hi, this is Penny. Thanks for being a part of The Flourish Podcast today. I wanted to share something that's just been on my heart lately, and it surrounds the idea of repentance, it seems like lately, a lot of things have just been speaking to my heart about the whole topic of repentance. And I think that sometimes in our efforts to be loving, gracious, kind, encouraging, all of the things that I speak of and encourage very regularly, maybe, just maybe, we've become a bit negligent in regard to adding the whole idea of our part in the Christian life. And one of those parts would be consistent repentance. I've been listening to uh, little excerpts, you know, maybe two minutes long of Billy Graham's messages lately. Wow, what a preacher. But it actually surprised me how direct and how clear and unapologetic he was about calling people to repentance and talking very straightforwardly about sin in all people, not just the unbelievers. Whether it was immorality, my bitterness and unforgiveness, laziness, or gluttony, which obviously hit a definitive chord in me because that's a sin that I wrestle with. But I was trying to remember the last time that I heard anyone else even broach this topic of gluttony from the pulpit. I mean, I, I know that's a hard topic because there's a lot of people that wrestle with that. And don't get me wrong, I have no interest in criticizing pastors or leaders. Uh, my husband and I have walked in those roles for a very long time. But it did cause me to ponder nonetheless, and even to reconsider myself and how I communicate about the Lord. Um, even when a person's considering becoming a Christian, do I mention repentance? Do we mention repentance? I remember when I gave my life to the Lord in 1975, I was 17 years old, and I remember spending a great deal of time at the altar of our Assembly of God Church asking for forgiveness and repenting. That was like a common thing then. I remember people at that altar, just weeping before the Lord when they would come to Christ. We, we saw a lot of people saved during that time. It was in the 70s, and there was obviously a revival atmosphere, but a lot of people gave their life to Christ, and there was a lot of repentance. And so I've been asking myself, am I so concerned about communicating the love of God to people that I forget the cost of discipleship? I think I've felt, and it's true, that people are so amiss in regard to knowing God's heart and His kindness toward them that I emphasize that a lot. And obviously our society faces a great deal of fatherlessness or father issues or family issues, and it seems that everyone is so insecure, and they often see God in such a negative light and and so judgmental. So sometimes a certain truth should be focused on, and it should be brought to light. However, God isn't merely an escape route from hell and our problems and our sin. He absolutely wants to pour His love and care on us. He's so faithful and so gracious. He does save us from hell, and He does help us with our struggles, and He wants to. But following Him involves a call to turn from our own ideas And our own sin. I was going through a notebook that I had prepared over 15 years ago for what we called an encounter. And it was a time where, you know, I would take the ladies away for a weekend and we would kind of spend some time looking at our own lives, sort of looking inwardly to where we fall short in our walk with the Lord and like consider ideas of maybe entrenched sin in our life, like strongholds or schemes that were in our lives. And the weekend started with a reflection on the encounter that Jacob had with God in the wilderness, where he had to come to terms with his own deceptive and manipulative ways, Uh, his habits, how he schemed to get his own way all the time. He kind of had gotten to the point of extreme desperation. It appeared that his sin and his deceit had finally caught up with him his brother was seemingly on his way with 400 men to kill him as a result of his defrauding scheme that he had used against his brother Esau. Exodus 32.7 says he was greatly afraid and distressed. So he sent all his family, and the caravan that was with him, he sent them away, and at night he came face to face with God. And he wrestled with God for God's blessing. This went on for hours, all night long, and finally God said, let me go. But Jacob, he had finally realized that he was hopeless without God's help and blessing, that all the things he tried to do for himself and all his plotting and all his scheming wasn't enough. It wasn't going to do the job. He was desperate for the blessing of God. So after the wrestling stopped, God said, what is your name? And he answered, Jacob, which in itself was a confession. His name meant deceiver, supplanter, usurper. He had his own way of getting blessed. He relied on his own strength and his own cleverness. It wasn't a great resume. But at that place and at that time, God changed his name to Israel, which means prince with God. That was based on inheritance, not on self-will. And that's what God does. He challenges us to let go of our natural, sinful, self-dependent ways and fight for His blessing instead. And when we do, He changes us. He blesses us. Proverbs 10.22 says, it is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and He adds no sorrow to it. But we can't skip the peace where we fight to walk away from our old nature, our old ways, from the sin in our lives. God is always calling us. He's always calling people to repentance. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our propensity to depend on our own strength. Hosea ten, twelve through 13 says, Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness upon you you have plowed wickedness, you have reaped injustice, you have eaten the fruit of lies, because you have trusted in your own way, in your numerous warriors. I don't know about you, but I feel like we all have a tendency to fall back on ourselves and think that we've got this in so many different areas in our lives. And we forget that God is our creator, our helper, our source for wisdom and strength. I think One of the major sins that we find ourselves guilty of is forgetting who we are following and who we are serving and just kind of doing things our own way, like Jacob did. Jeremiah 17 talks about the outcome of that. And it says in 5 through 8, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He'll be like a bush in the desert and he won't see prosperity when it comes, but will live in stony wastes and wilderness and the land of salt without ha- inhabitant. But blessed is the man whose trust is in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. The next verse talks about the heart being more deceitful than all else and desperately sick. So I think in all our focus on the, the grace and favor and mercy of God and his tender, forgiving ways, we have to look at ourselves at times too. We can't forget that piece of the puzzle. When our lives shift from being all about self-actualization and self-realization and all the other self things to reliance, trust, and accountability to God, we know that we are moving in the right direction. To be self-focused, you—you you heard it there in Jeremiah. To—to to, to rely on our own selves, to think that we've got this, no matter what it's about, is sin. And you re- we just read what the outcome of that is. It's—it's it's a desolate place. But our trust has to be fully God. Um, even though we're Christians and the Bible promises us that we're—we're we're a new creature, we still fall short. We're still required to be aware of and to turn from sin in our lives. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. It's so important to keep a tender heart, to keep a soft heart, and to not ever think we've arrived, but to realize We have to, like Habakkuk, put ourselves on the rampart and say, how shall I respond when God reproves me? James 4 says, Cleanse your hands, weep and mourn, and humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord so He can exalt you. It's interesting. I've daily followed the accounts of the revival at Asbury University, and it was marked with repentance. People confessing their sin often publicly. I used to teach my leadership team about um, John Wesley and the evolution of the Methodist movement, how they would meet together in small groups, and they would confess their sins one to another and pray for one another. And that included all the leaders. So I said all that to say repentance is not an outdated old-fashioned part of the gospel, for legalists and pragmatists and Bible-thumping preachers. It's a vital part of following Jesus. I sometimes hear young people that maybe aren't even Christians talk about how great they think Jesus is, because Jesus, I guess, is in vogue right now, and how they would love to be friends with him, but perhaps they haven't read the red letters in the Bible he speaks of repentance so often. He just doesn't talk about hanging out and loving the sinner. Yes, he hung out with sinners, absolutely. Yes, he demonstrated the heart of God and the character of God to them, but he called them to change, to repent, to turn from their own ways. He never soft peddled the commitment to follow him, and he made it clear. I recently spoke at a women's meeting. In the end, we had an altar call for people who didn't know Jesus. And I ended up praying with a beautiful young girl who was living in a very hard situation and hadn't even really thought about the need to surrender her life to the Lord up until that point, up until I posed the question to her. It was interesting, though, I found myself almost talking her out of it. And I said to her, I don't know if you're ready to make this commitment. Have you thought about it? Do you know what this means? This means you are surrendering your life to God. You're no longer going to be in charge of your own life. It means turning from your old ways and giving him your whole life. And she said, I I want to do it. I do want to do that. And so I made it clear to her that there's a cost involved. By all means, make a case for the goodness of love and love of God. He healed everyone that came to him. He showed them mercy, tenderness, freedom. He demonstrated what love actually looked like. We can't ever get away from that. But we can't forget to mention the cost of discipleship. Jesus didn't. Matthew 4.17 says, From that time, the beginning of his ministry, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is just food for thought. In our attempts to stress the love of God, let's not forget that the Bible is full of instruction to change our behaviors and our mindsets. And I'm going to close with 2 Timothy 2.21. If anyone cleanses himself from these things, from sin, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good use. That's who I want to be. I want to be useful to the Lord. I want to bask and live under His smile and His love, and I do, but I also want to be useful for His purpose. I hope this is helpful and that it encourages you today and maybe brings a a mildly different perspective than uh, what we think about sometimes. So thanks for being with me. Love you. Thanks for listening to The Flourish Podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode and share it with your friends. For more information about Flourish, our annual conference, or to join our community of women, visit nrpflourish.com. See you next time.